Hello. Hi. And welcome. Hello. To Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. I am, as always, Elaine, and with me there are two other physical beings that live on the planet Earth. I'm Fletcher. I'm physical now. I'm Adam. That is patently false. I am not a physical construct. Are you a purely theoretical being? Yes. The net is vast and infinite, Ellie. How how is everyone doing in this in this trying time? Did everyone had a spooky Halloween? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> I was writing my paper. I'm I'm trying to do the whole like, you know, expand on the the personalities of the host here so we can develop a good um uh, rapport. No, what's the what's the word? A good I I was gonna say good parasocial relationship, but for some reason my brain went a good mediatonic relationship, which is the studio that makes Fall Guys. So <laughs> this is this is how how I'm doing today. <laughs> well, you know, jelly beans are in right now between Among Us and Fall Guys. Yeah, it's very weird that my incredibly pregnant baby sister is just into Among Us out of nowhere when she was not really a person who played video games growing up. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole craze. It's it's Pokemon all over again. It is hashtag viral. Yeah, collect all of the fall guys. Gotta catch them all. I'm sure there are some people who are actually trying to get all of the accessories in that game. I only know of Fall Guys tangentially in that sometimes, like, queer comics about Fall Guy just appear on my Twitter timeline. Wait. I'm sorry. I I know what all those words mean, <laughs> but I don't know what they mean in that order. <laughs> like, I can understand, okay, someone made queer comics about Hades, Fire Emblem, other current big games. What does that look like with Fall Guys? It's a it's a really cute comic with there's like uh, uh, like an imposter and like a not imposter are like in love and like the imposter kills the other imposter before they kill the non imposter. So you're talking about Among Us, not Fall Guys. Okay. And yes, I've seen that. The yes, Among Us. Did, what, did I say? Did I say Fall Guys? You did. That was what had me really confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've seen those. Okay. Hello, I just woke up. <laughs> this tracks a little more all of a sudden. Yes. They could be little gay aliens as a treat. <laughs> uh, hello, I just woke up. Generally, I was like, I'm sleepy, I'm gonna take a nap before the episode. Bad idea. My brain is currently scrambled. So Fletch is driving this episode. And with that, I'll say that we are actually covering the gays today, by which I mean it's short for Green Day. I mean, isn't uh, a main Green Day dude by? Yep, turns out he is. Said so as early as 1995. 
Am I homophobic for not liking this record? No. Yes. Today we're talking about Green Day's Warning, a 2000 return from the band. This is going to be an interesting one because this was a controversial album when it released as well. And I think you can already tell we have some very different opinions on it. But that's later. First, it is another week with what Ellie has constantly referred to as old people bands. So I'm driving on the history this time. Beep, beep. If we ever talk about, I don't know, um, what what's a band young people listen to? Machine Gun Kelly? No. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, if we ever talk about Machine Gun Kelly, uh, Adam will do the history, but let's do that history. Yeah, I also did that one. <laughs> okay, see, if I have to do the history, someone has to do my homework for me. <laughs> I am not actually good at geography. I don't know where most places are. Not here. I mean, it's not about where places are in human geography. It's a whole... <laughs> whole other cake. Also, human geography makes this sound like a Saw movie. Hello, we're going to play a game. How familiar are you with the human geography? Then it rides away on a bicycle. That was the weirdest part of those movies to me, is that there was a puppet on a bicycle regularly giving orders. Magic. It's sort of, it's sort of like um, that game. You know? Danganronpa? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for me just saying that game. You can understand what I mean. You know, there were only a few things, and I didn't think this was Fall Guys. Yeah, it's like that game, Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're not allowed to refer to that one anymore unless you are talking about Genshin Impact. <laughs> it's been replaced. You mean Tetris? Nope, nope, can't go down this rabbit hole. I was already talking about the Gislaine Maxwell collection to the Tetris the other day, and we can't do that on another podcast. The, the, the what? Oh, did you not know her dad was part of the people involved in all the rights issues with Tetris, and that's where the family money came from? No, I didn't. You do now. Yes, Tetris is about two degrees removed from Jeffrey Epstein. <sighs> well, time to catch that one on fire. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm ruining everything. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? I am one of those melodramatic fools, neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I give myself the creeps Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me It all keeps setting up I think I'm cracking up Speaking of ruining everything, it's 1987, I'm finally back from the war, and two 15-year-olds, Billy Joe Armstrong and Mike Dimmt, are going to form a band called Sweet Children in SoCal. The duo meet a drummer a year later who will be gone before they break big, so I don't really mention him much. But they meet Trey Cool the following year when that guy goes to college, and everyone's pretty okay with this. In 1989, Sweet Children becomes Green Day. The change comes because of a local band, Sweet Baby, being more popular at the time, and because, and this is a direct quote, we really loved weed. 
Armstrong regrets the name, but knows that at this point they are stuck with it. And around the time period that we're covering on today's album, he did refer to it in interviews as the worst band name in the world. I mean, there's a band named Hubastank. Yeah, I I really cannot put Green Day in the bottom 200 band names I've heard. It could be about Earth Day. You don't know. Yes. Also, you really cannot say you have the worst band name in the world when Anal Cunt tours regularly. That's a real band. I didn't hear that, and you're not going to repeat it. <laughs> I'm Irish. I'm allowed to say those words. So they end up on Lookout Records during this period, and they release uh, a couple of albums. 39 Smooth, which would later be re-released as 1039 Smoothed Out Slappy Hours. Again, I'm making none of this up. Uh, it combines that album with a few EP tracks. And then they release Kerplunk, their second album. Their sound in this era is very close to what will break them out shortly, and a lot of tracks on Kerplunk could probably stand up on Dookie without issue if you let a different producer take over. But the band has very little fondness for this era, not because of the works themselves, but because Lookout Records fucked them over hard on royalties, especially after they became Green Day, multi-million selling artists. There's a 2007 lawsuit over this that led to everything Lookout being pulled from shelves, and a few things ended up on their current labels. I believe they're still on Reprise, and in Europe there's a whole different thing that makes this weird. But more than a little of this material is lost to legality, with only a few of these tracks appearing on compilations later. Yay, copyright laws! Uh, I, I figure if they really cared, they'd put some of it back into play, but nobody does. That is fair. They, they did do enough that, again, some of these tracks are on the greatest hit stuff, but nobody is really going, Hey, can I get 1039 smoothed out slappy hours again? I think maybe Kerplunk is back in print. I mean, especially because no one can remember that name. I don't even know what that means. How can you forget? Yeah. Again, they really liked weed. So, Kerplunk moved about 50k copies in the time period that we're talking about, the first half of the 90s, and it became Lookout's best-selling title ever. But it also attracted the attention of Reprise Records, where the band has remained since, unless something has changed in the last couple albums I didn't touch. For the purposes of this show, Green Day will always be on Reprise Records. Let's go with that. Okay. According to stories and interviews, the biggest reason they made the leap to Reprise over anyone else is that producer Rob Cavallo did most of the schmoozing on the label's behalf, and... Some of the band members describe Cavallo as the only person we could talk to and connect with at the time. The Green Day Whisperer. <laughs> the Weedsperer. He just has the good kush. You know, he might have. It was SoCal in the 90s. And you cannot tell me they were completely sober when they named their third album Dookie. Yeah, we listened to that one. Yeah, we discussed it in a bit of detail on our episode zero, but if you did not go back to that, and I think 
some of the hosts would prefer you not. Please don't. This was one of the biggest albums of the decade. The band shot into the spotlight overnight. They toured Lollapalooza. They were on Woodstock 94. Award after award after award. And then they sort of stagnate a little. Their fourth album, Insomniac, is not bad by any means, but it is a much lesser success. It does, however, give the first hints Green Day are going to start experimenting a little. I said everything up through Dookie has a very similar sound. Dookie just refined it. Insomniac is grimier and heavier compared to the very pop-punk, yeah, have some fun energy on their earlier records. This is also where a few of the band become parents, and the experiences of not being baby men anymore leads to a little more introspection in songwriting. Overall, this is just me speaking as a host and not as the official history here. Would recommend Insomniac. Give it a listen. Okay. Noted. I probably won't because, uh, spoiler alert, I fucking hate Green Day. Not for any, like, this is not like a Mitchell situation where it's just like a dick. I just don't, don't like them for no reason at all. Just like can't stand them. I understand that. Which means that I must stand them for no reason at all other than to oppose you. Yay! Fight! I'm warmed up to them after doing some of this research because a few of the interviews were actually very interesting reads. You are a Green Day centrist. <laughs> I, I actually am going to be the Green Day centrist on this podcast, which is kind of funny because usually I am accused of being leftist shitheel on one of my other recordings. So... We are now in the mid-90s. The band has just finished touring for Insomniac. A few of them have had kids. And they take time off. They actually cancel the last half of a European tour to just hang back, enjoy life with their families, and bask in the success. Respect. So, going into 1997, everyone's refreshed, they're feeling good, and reports say that the sessions that became Nimrod ended up with close to three dozen tracks before they refined it down. The label pushed them to change producers, but everyone stuck with Cavallo, and it turned out for the best because Nimrod featured one of their biggest hits of all time, Good Riddance, Time of Your Life. The, the senior prom staple. This track, within a year, will have already featured majorly in pop culture because... It would be played in a major character death episode of ER, the finale of Seinfeld, and that's just one year. You can't tell me this hasn't appeared about 7,000 times since in pop culture. Oh, they wrote the Seinfeld opening? I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, Trey Cool was doing the slap bass on his drums. It's kind of an impressive technique. Hanging on a shelf in good health and good time Tattoos and memories and dead skin on trial So, uh, a few of the interviews from this album tell us that this was coming out of them being inspired by different artists in the field that they heard while they were just kind of chilling. 
One said the Bikini Kill album Reject All American gave them the idea of, quote, balancing punk songs with delicate, pretty tracks. Another one said some of the tracks on this album came out of Armstrong playing around more with acoustic guitars in the demo phase, and everyone sort of punked up the songs with harder instruments or faster speed when it came time to play in the studio. But again, it worked, and this kicks them back to where we are today. We're coming into the 2000s. Nimrod had a tour that was not stadiums and things like Dookie and uh, Insomniac, but it was a lot of smaller venues. They were doing three to four K clubs and smaller joints. Their music was in a whole different space than their largest hits, and the music scene is changing around them. Punk albums are on the wane because the new edgy hotness is this genre called new metal, and the band brings in a non-Cavallo producer for the first time since Reprise. It goes so poorly that they kick the guy out, Cavallo gets credit as an executive producer, and they mostly handle it themselves on site. Lyrically, though, this is where Green Day start doing political songs. I'm not going to speak about how this works on this record until we get into the discussion, but I think that probably one of the angriest things we'll ever do on this show is American Idiot, because I loathe that album. And this is definitely the first step towards it. Are we going to cover the American Idiot stage show? I... no. No, I can't. No. So the only if thing I know about American Idiot is the Weird Al cover. Funny you say that. There's definitely a polka track on this album. Was I in a paper writing trance when that happened? I don't remember that. I've definitely got it marked down in the notes, but we'll get there. Oh yeah, that's the best track of the record. I'm real. Yeah, we're going to have a fun discussion when we get there. I love Polka. Armstrong says that the push towards political lyrics came out of Bob Dylan and The Clash inspiring them. The album cover to this is actually ripping off the London Calling font and layout. And Armstrong saying that he just had this sense of dread at the upcoming election and the worry that Al Gore couldn't shoot his shot. Boy... He's in for a bad time over the next 20 years, even if he's going to profit like fuck from it. <sighs> we have four videos on this album, although I don't know if one ever played on any network. I'm very curious about that. First up, Minority, which is a parade float of political commentary down an artificial street. This one is straight up an American Idiot single years early. Next up, we had Warning. I actually think this is a fun single and video combo, but we'll get there. Waiting is sort of their good riddance on this album, a slower, more introspective song that picks up the pace as it goes. And uh, it does a lot with slow-mo blue-balling you until the final verse. So, you know, there's some good gags there. Oh, I saw the video for Macy's Day Parade, which is the last single. Well, that's the thing. I wonder if this aired on any networks back in the day, because I didn't see this song listed as a single. My research turned up no mentions of it. The 
whole video is very slow black and white that's mostly Billy Joe Armstrong walking around until he meets the band. And it feels like a cologne ad. I would be very curious if this did play somewhere, because I don't see MTV playing this in the TRL era. But with that, uh, let's stop talking about Green Day's warning in general and talk about Green Day's warning off of Warning in 2000. I would like to correct you, Fletch. This is Green Day Warning off of Green Day Warning, the the grammar symbol that's like two dots, which I don't remember the name for. Umlaut. Warning, colon. Okay, the original cover did not have the weird colon. Well, the, the cover on Spotify has it, and uh, the record is listed on Greater Music as Warning, colon. It's also on the uh, YouTube album cover thing. Interestingly, on the cover of this record, Billy Joe Armstrong has blonde hair, while in all of the videos for the record, he has black hair. Yeah, I would be curious what's going on there, because I've only ever seen that guy with uh, slick back Italian mobster black hair, or spiked Italian mobster black hair. Don't you know that all bi people can shapeshift at will? God, I wish. Eighth people can get depression at will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's less useful to me. Uh, I think that's just a general queer move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyhow, warning, I don't like this track. It has acoustic guitars and it's sort of like a poppy tune, but it has the big problem that this whole record has for me, which is like this very sort of earwormy, but also like just jolly tunes all over, like really simple jolly tunes that are very teetless. This is one of my favorite tracks on the album. I think this is a very good, strong opening. Okay. Yeah. And I think the thing that makes this work where Minority doesn't is this one is leaning so far into farce in the video and the lyrics compared to Minority. Because a lot of... The lyrics are just generic things you might read on a shampoo bottle or in, like, it feels like an artistically made collage of warning labels in a lot of places, except then it slips in lines like, is the cop or am I the one that's really dangerous? Which, if you're not thinking about it, is actually kind of a shocker for 2000. Yeah, sure. I mean... Kill the Police was quite a while before, I think, but, you know. Yeah, yeah uh, Fuck the Police and Cop Killer both, but... Yes, I mixed up those, those songs. <laughs> good, good job, me. Shame. <laughs> That's alright. I lived in SoCal, where, you know, I'm within driving distance of the LAPD, who were the target of many of these songs. You can't escape it. Uh, I don't know, like, I, I don't agree with the sound. I don't think it's bad, it's just like... 
you know, Green Day at the time, and you know, right now people remember Dookie fondly, but at the time Dookie was like the record that's like, oh, this is selling out, this is pop, real punk don't like that record. This record, like, it's even way less, like, way more poppy and way less, has, like, way less teeth than Dookie, and I like Dookie, Dookie was fine. Dookie at least had, like, that sort of, like, slacker energy. This is, like, so, so jolly. Like, this melodies, you could see, like, I don't know, a 40-year-old dad humming them while, like, walking through the street, like, jogging. I mean, considering the fact that I think before this, they took some time off of musicianing to be dads. Yep. They're not quite 40, but they are close. I don't know. This one... This works for me, and the video really sells it. It's I complain about pop-punk albums doing the funny video that tends to end, like, in here's the boob party at the end. This is a dude doing everything possible wrong during a day. You know, it starts with drinking spoiled milk, running with scissors down his hall to grab the keys... Uh, walking through a police shootout by the end of the day, chugging cold medicine and running a forklift. It just continues escalating. Oh yeah, the video That's is a fun. mood. I've had that day. <laughs> I, I will not fold the video. The video is fun. I don't think, I don't like the song. I I think this is a very good start, and this actually gave me a warm glow that uh, I actually write down in my note where the high for is wearing off, but <laughs> as a good start, I liked Warning. Okay, well, we disagree. I like it. It's fun. It's fun to listen to. Uh, I think that the uh, chorus could be a little less repetitive, or that perhaps it could be a little bit shorter, but... I don't know. Don't worry. At some point, there will be a song where the chorus is one word. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This album, especially the middle tracks, are very repetitive. I mean, that is the one complaint I have about this album. The middle chunk is so rough for me because a lot of tracks are just repeated, no change in the beat. And I think that's kind of the death blow to the center of the album for me. Death Blow to the Center of the Album, a sequel to Journey to the Center of the Earth. Please don't get The Rock on that one, too. <laughs> the Rock is playing Billy Joe Armstrong. Actually, you know what? I would watch a Green Day biopic where The Rock plays Billy Joe Armstrong. That would be so weird, I could respect it. Uh, yeah. Anyhow, warning. I don't like it. Fletch likes it. Agam likes it. I just don't like Green Day. Uh, let, let's go to Blood, Sex, and Magic by Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> Please do not do Anthony Kiedis scatting on this show again. Ugh. <laughs> you, you, did the, you did Anthony Kiedis scatting like multiple times on the show. I should have the right to do that. You do not have those rights. I guess as host and editor, you do get to do at least one Kiedis scat. <laughs> Speaking of scat, let's talk Blood, Sex, and Booze by Green Day. Well, 
So I don't like this album much, and not for any like angry reason. I just it doesn't vibe with me. So I spend a lot of the time just reading genius annotations. So this comes from Genius.com, the authority in terms of music lyrics and interpretation thereof. And it says that historically women tend to be more submissive and let men be in charge, while a lot of men want to be with dominant women that would not be afraid to take the initiative and be in control. In today's world of feminism and emancipated women, the scheme of a heterosexual relationship is still old-fashioned and society still perceives women as weaker sex, while a lot of men, openly or secretly, are dreaming of a girl called Kill. So this is what Genius says about this lyrics. For, for what it's worth, this song is pretty explicitly about sadomasochism, so... Yep. I'm just saying it's not completely made up there, but yes, that does go a little strange. Also, it's not It's not even... I, I don't even think that Genius annotations are wrong. I think they're often, like, incredibly, like, tautological and just, like, I don't know. They're, they're funny to me. It's true. I definitely think the part about how historically women are more submissive might not have been needed there on that first chunk of the description, but... They're just odd. Genius annotation reads like an alien wrote them. I love them. Yeah, they are a fun little bit of color to our work when we do this. I like this track. I think this is my third place on the album. I also think this is just a weaker version of Depeche Mode's In Your Room. Huh. It's the same ground covered, but much less subtle. Because again, Songs of Faith and Devotion was about the very dualistic nature of a silent god or a masochist sadist partner and this is just yeah i'm getting whipped and i'm calling her mistress sometimes you want to be like philosophical and sometimes you don't i'm just saying that one album will continue to be in my rotation for probably another 30 years if i'm around that long and the other is the one that contains blood sex and booze that's fair. This is not my favorite song on the album. According to Genius, the protagonist of the song is addicted to the pain he feels during S&M. It gets him off. This makes sense, because according to the Harvard Gazette, the pain and pleasure center in your brain are located in the same place. <sighs> Alright. I'm not touching that as a sex worker and a psych major, but let me just say, not... The best summary. You mean random people on the internet don't have a perfect grasp of the physio-psychological aspects of S&M? No. Anyhow, this is, this is another, like, sort of, like, catchy song. They use a lot more, like, acoustic instruments or just, like, non-distorted electric guitar on this record, which is certainly a choice. I described this as a rockabilly slow jam. Yeah, there's a lot of rockabilly and just, like, classic rock and roll influences. <sighs> that is not that is not the kind of music that I really enjoy. I think a huge part of why you don't like this and why you might not like Green Day in general, Dookie is a very pop-punk album. Nimrod a little less so. This one is just straight-up alt-rock. This isn't pop-punk, by and large. Yeah, this is this is not punk. This is more my wheelhouse than yours. Yeah, this is sort of like folk uh, rock, you know, folk 
punk inspired with some rock and roll influences. Uh, I, I think a big problem for me is just like, I hate Billy Armstrong singing. It's so like, it, it sounds like Machine Gun Kelly. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. I hate it. It's so like one tone unemotional. Okay, so here's a question. Do you think a good cover of some of these tracks would make you like them more if it's mostly similar but a very different vocalist? A couple of them, not all of them. I think Yeah, I did, yeah, not everything. I know some you're not going to dig, but Yeah. I think there are a couple of them which would be really enhanced by someone who actually like had feelings in their voice and not just like, you know, this generally feels like reading off of cue card like we said for Machine Gun Kelly. Sometimes it's... Uh... There's an alternate universe where Bikini Kill covers this album. But speaking of the other half of that Depeche Mode song I was talking about, how about we talk about Church on Sunday? Sure. <laughs> Ooh, that's... That tells me well how you felt about this. sort of rock and rolly song it's not awful it's just not my thing i don't know like there's also a thing where like i feel especially from what we've listened recently you can definitely tell that green day th these people are slightly above average in terms of lyrics for the genre they uh they like do especially on this record they really like doing the storyteller thing where they talk about characters that do things oh yeah it's not great but you know it's Definitely above average for the genre. This is one of the songs where, like, my only note that I could master for it is just, like, I just don't care. Like, I recognize that this is a perfectly okay, like, song that tells a story, and it's about something that they wanted to talk about. I just don't care. <laughs> this is not, this is not for me. Musically, I like this one. There's the accordion bit. There's a great drum breakdown near the end. It's upbeat. Lyrically, this is one of the ones that I called out as being proto-American idiot. The, the whole premise of this, because we did talk about It's Another Story song, is it's a relationship where one person is religious and the other is not, and the compromises they're trying to go through for it. So another thing that I love about Genius is that they have little pictures sometimes with their annotation, and there's like a great picture on the chorus of this song on Genius, which is just like a bunch of people dressed in stereotypical like punk outfits in a church. I love it. I'm sorry, what? What? <laughs> I Even wilder is the fact that this is shot in such a way that most of the front of the frame is taken up by the back of someone's Nine Inch Nails hoodie. Yes. 
Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Th- this front chunk is very interesting to me because I recognize these are more mature songs than a lot of artists have done so far. I recognize I can't fault the band. There's very good production and music here. The lyrics are what is pushing me away. Hmm. Okay. I, I, throughout this record, I just kept thinking, I wish I was home listening to, to, to uh, Neutral Milk Hotel. This is sort of like that folk punk vibe, but without, you know, the, the the experimentation and the actual like alternative shit. My my thing about the lyrics is that uh like sure, some of them are not the best, but compared to last week's band. Yeah, yeah they're not they're not dire or anything. Nothing is aff- well, okay, maybe a little of the next one is offensive, but I can comprehend them. It's swinging a little outside of its reach, and since I'm not sixteen, it doesn't hit for me. Yeah, that makes sense. I just think that my standards have been lowered. Adam, you're 16. Does it hit for you? <laughs> I, am, I am not. Um, whether or not this song hits for me is none of your business. <laughs> um, this podcast has lowered my standards for lyrics so much. I think the thing that keeps me so picky is that I try and break up what I listen to for this show with at least one new album, if I can help it, just so I'm not only taking in 2000s pop punk when I'm making my critiques. It doesn't all have to be new. It just has to be something I haven't heard. I don't listen to music except for this podcast lately. So this is it. Got it. Let's go on to Fashion Victim. Fashion Victim is probably the closest this album came to making me go, should I be offended? I mean, it doesn't make fun of eating disorders. Yeah, there's that. There's comparing following trends to the latest genocide. Uh, it's it's not a tasteful track on a few levels. Yeah, and it has like another jolly tune with muted production and just this lyrics about a random topic that Billy Armstrong wanted to talk to us about. Uh, it's all of the problems that I have with this record in one track, which you can like it, you cannot like it, that's not my thing. But Genius tell us that they gave their lives away to fashion companies because they're always buying those new trendy clothes. But the price they pay is the highest. Problem with money? Health? This is also an incredibly repetitive track, which is a shock when it's the second shortest on the album. Uh, this was the instant the high from the opening tracks began to wear off for me, and... This is, this is a low point. I did not remember this track even being on the album, even though I listened to it three times today. It's so quick. I think that's the only thing that redeems it. If this were a three and a half minute song, this would be garbage. But now it's just like, oh, you stepped in that, didn't you? At least it's not Donut Dan. 
it feels like Donut Dan and that it's like a short little offensive song, but it isn't the tune of She'll Be Coming Round the Mountain, so it doesn't get stuck in your head for two weeks. So I'll give it a pass. I didn't have that problem with Donut Dan, I'll let you know. <laughs> Me neither. Well, I have that problem, but I still have. Fashion victim, thought of fact. Castaway. Away sort of sucks. This played on local radio. I had heard this one before. It's it's very bad. This record, like, to me, like this sort of mixes the worst parts of pop. Like it's pop punk, but it mixes the worst parts of pop and punk. It's just so jolly and inoffensive, and just like I could imagine Steven from Steven Universe singing this with. If you're a real band, it's not a great thing to aim for. That kid sang? Constantly. Yeah, there's the, he had a punk band. What? There, yeah, there was Ford Steven. He cloned himself to form a punk band. I only saw a little of the very early episodes of that. I, I saw the Akira parody, and um, I don't remember the punk band. That show was a musical. Well, yeah, I remember other people singing. I didn't remember the kid having a band. Well, that was one off episode, but yeah, he plunks on his little ukulele all the time. Wait, wait, is that fucking show why I kept hearing twee ukulele covers for half a decade? No, that's just millennials. Yeah, no, the twee ukulele covers came first and then they tried to capitalize on it. Okay, cool. I I am so sick of that trend. Looks at my ukulele guiltily. Yeah, I kept telling myself, oh, now that that's done, I'll pick it up, and they refuse to put out a complete collection on anything above DVD. Anyhow, Castaway, it's a song about being sad. I don't like it. Yeah, this is a depression track. I enjoyed it. Again, my problem is that, like, there's a lot of just, like, lack of good energy in the singing here, and the rest of the, you know, the rest of the instrumentation is not good enough to compensate for that, and... At least that made sense thematically in Dookie, because Dookie was all about, you know, slacker energy. It was all about, I want to lay here and smoke weed and do nothing, and that's like the whole theme of the record. So having Billy Armstrong just singing in this monotone made sense. In this one, it doesn't. In this one, he tries to sing about things that are different, but still with that monotone voice that I don't particularly like, and it just doesn't click for me. But Adam, tells you about why you enjoy this, so you can balance my negativity here. Listening to it makes my ears happy. I do okay, man. I, I definitely see Ellie's point about his vocals do not work for this track. The chorus is so flat to me. It sounds like a machine-learning vocalist. I think... Part of it is just that, like, uh, 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 my mom liked Green Day, so I heard a lot of it growing up. So, like, I think that uh, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong singing sounds good. 
regardless of whether or not that might be the actual case. I don't think he's crap on every track. I already said I like a a few of the first few. This is the one where I definitely hear he's so flat. I find it mithrable, so let's talk about mythery. Good So, was I reading you correctly earlier when you said this is your favorite track on the album? Yes. Okay. I don't think it's good. It's just like, you know, they're trying to do the storyteller thing. They have this deadpan delivery that can sort of serve a purpose here. This is different. This is like your thing where you really don't like a record, but there's the one song that is different. And like, I can appreciate that. I'm not going to listen to this ever again in my life, but this is different. This is like a, a story song that talks, talks about a bunch of different stories. They're trying to be like Tom Waits, which I don't... I'm just gonna go listen to Tom Waits, to be honest. I don't want to listen to Green Day trying to be Tom Waits, but sure, they have this sort of polka vibe going on. <laughs> okay. A... I have to give you a Billy Joe Armstrong quote about this song. Okay. Which is, Watching Disney movies will change you. A tune like Misery sounds like it could have come straight out of Aladdin. <laughs> no, it doesn't? Yes. Okay. And second, this is the slow polka song that is doing a bunch of stories, and to me... This is a bad version of a track I've heard so many bands do, like Garbage's Bleed Like Me, Everlast What It's Like, Weird Al's Albuquerque. All of these cover this same ground better. Yeah, this is, uh, this is By Chemical Romance, uh, Mother? What's the name of the song? Yeah, also there. They do a faster evil polka song in one of their later albums. I guess we're going to get there. I'm unaware of that. Songs like this are evil polka now, I've decided. Evil polka is a good description of this. I will give them this. This is a wild track on a lot of levels. Uh, describing it as evil polka is not wrong because it's instruments you do not hear combined or, for the most part, used anywhere else on this album or maybe in their catalog. Except for their other evil polka song. Yeah, I guess there's some that comes later, but so clearly they liked doing this one. But I, credit where credit's due. This is very distinct. I can see how, especially for Ellie, this would be a thing that really stands out. I just kept thinking of and humming Bleed Like Me listening to this each time. That is fair. Also, Genius has a very edgy picture of Hellhounds, if you go on the Hellhounds line. Sick. I want to see that. Yo, I want those as a van art. <laughs> right? Spray that on my fucking panel van. Ooh, nice. I know, right? <laughs> I I think now is the time to say, especially since I made it as a note for the next track, Deadbeat Holiday, 
This album is not what I expected, and that pleases me. It's definitely making it into the top half of our rankings for me. Because while I don't think I'm going to re-listen to it, there's a lot going on here, and a lot of it's very interesting. At no point during this album was I ever going, ugh, kill me, for more than two minutes. Anyhow, on that note, I guess we may as well start talking about Deadbeat Holiday, which... I think I've heard this in a movie. This sounded very familiar to me. I don't know where I can't place it. This sounds familiar to me because this is the track that sounds more like a song from Dookie to me. This is the more classic Green Day-ish song. Yeah, I, I wrote this seems very early Green Day, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the closest we come to that. It starts with this weird, like, um, just delay sound, which is interesting. Again, there's some interesting production on this record. Probably because of that whole we changed producers midstream and did it ourselves thing. Yeah, that Beat Holiday is definitely one of the songs that I heard growing up. Yeah, it's... it's not bad. It's, again, it's actually kind of a throwback for them. One of my favorite Christmas songs of all time is the Pogue's Fairy Tale in New York, and there's definitely a little bit of that energy in this track. Especially one of the latest, uh, late period in the song, Bridges of Holiday! Suicide! <laughs> She's like, alright, let's just lay it out. Sure. Yeah. Be like that sometimes. I think all of us are like that sometimes. <laughs> Another one of our uh, queer superpowers. And I, do, I don't just mean we hosts. I mean, I think everyone has one of those holiday seasons. You guys have holiday seasons? Uh, we'll see what that turns into this year. I mean, my holiday season didn't happen. <laughs> Halloween who? I will have you know, I watched a Hellraiser and an Alien for Halloween, and it turns out Sigourney Weaver in a tank top is still one of the hottest things in sci-fi. That is valid. So let's talk about Hold On. I don't want to mock this one because of the quote from Billy Joel Armstrong about the fact that this was written where a buddy of his had three friends die in a year, so he wrote this song as a tribute. But I'm also going to say that this sounds like Billy Joel Armstrong on a New Order B-side. That's an harmonica on this one. Yep. Also, I just called him Billy Joel Armstrong by accident, probably because of the harmonica. <laughs> yeah, this is very Billy Joel. 
It also reminds me of Ju uh, Hey Julie by Fountains of Wayne, which was like a nice little tidbit in a record that was very varied and diverse. But this record is just like a whole hour of Hey Julie by the Fountains of Wayne, which I'm not that into. It was three minutes. <laughs> well, n not just this song. This whole record is just like quaint little pop song with very jolly tune and most of them with like acoustic instruments or with you know muted guitar not distorted electric guitar uh, i actually disagree with you fletch i think this record gets sort of very repetitive by some point there's just a lot of like this very jolly tune over like really dry instrumentation and it gets very repetitive to me you know that's fair I think the fact that it's switching genres quite a bit helps, but this is also the track where I wrote down that this is way more of an alt-rock album than a pop-punk album, and it doesn't mean that I like it somehow. Yeah, this is, like, probably the folkiest, aside from the evil polka, this is probably the folkiest track on the record. And on that, we will go to Jackass. Are we reviewing the noted TV show Jackass and the subsequent movies? I did write the lesser Jackass debut of 2000. Did have a saxophone in it? Yes, uh, that was actually a plus one star for me. Yeah, me too. I was in the middle of writing another note and <laughs> something just says, there is just, is that saxophone? <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. But yeah, uh... Some people claim this is meant to be a diss track at Blink-182, which doesn't really bear out given that they're going to tour together and have a lot of respect for each other after this album. Yeah, it's about Tokyo about a jackass, the person that they don't like. There's a saxophone in it. Saxophone is not as good as horns, but I'll take it. Genius says about the line, well, I am not the one that's going to die. Genius says... If Lovinger is suicide, then he's not going to die. Thank you, genius. Well, sometimes you have to diagram these sentences. And yeah, this is fun because there's a saxophone. I don't, I don't have much other comments on it. Everyone knows that the saxophone is very sexy. It's true. I am a sucker for graphite sax and explicit violins. This is probably my second favorite song of the album. Hmm. My second favorite song is actually the next track. Oh ho. Waiting. Because your curls can be just two words. Wake up. Don't forget, I'm so much closer than I have ever known. Sure, but that's that's sort of the pre-chorus. I think the chorus is wake up and then like a super chunk riff. Yeah, 
this this one starts out slow, it speeds up, and we mentioned earlier this has another video. This is kind of the counterpoint to the weed song I can never remember the name of on Dookie. The, the one weed song on Dookie? Yeah. The one single weed song on Dookie. <laughs> when masturbation's lost its fun, you're fucking lazy. Yeah, whatever that one is. Sure. It's got some incredibly dumb name that never sticks in my head. Uh, this one is fun. The video is them doing a slow practice, and then all of a sudden a bunch of kids in slow-mo burst in and start doing house party shit. The band are just kind of wandering through this. There's a couple good gags, like someone is knocking things over, and one of them just, like, slides a glass under the liquid that's spilling... And eventually we get to where the blue balls end and you suddenly get people at regular speed along with the wake up. It's fun. Genius says that this song is a clearly melodical reference to Petula Clark's Downtown, and I don't see it. I definitely don't hear that. Yeah, because there's a lyric that's sort of similar and Genius is like, this is a clear reference to that because the melody is the same. And it's not? <laughs> Which is why we don't listen to the genius annotations, Ellie. But I had to entertain myself somehow because this record wasn't doing that for me. I enjoy this one. Again, I think it's very much in the vein of them trying to do another good riddance. But this one is a little more hopeful than that. And I think that's also probably why it doesn't hit with the same angst of people going out into the world. So, you were talking about Blue Balls, and I think this is my Blue Balls song, because it has, like, this good, good build-up to a chorus, and it's like, okay, we're going into the chorus, wake up, and then it doesn't go into the chorus, that's just this riff. Yeah. If there's a thing that I hate in music, is when your chorus just goes into a riff, that I find that extremely unsatisfying. And it's just like, uh, the riff sounds like Super Chunk, and, you know, I'd rather be listening to Super Chunk. I just want to stay on this one for as long as we can, because the next two close out the album on a real clunker for me. We should just rip the band-aid off. All right. Do you want to be an American idiot? This is straight up an American idiot song. I wanna be the minority, I don't need your authority, down with the moral majority, cause I wanna be the minority. Also, I don't know if you know this one, Ellie, but the moral majority was an actual Christian crusader group of the 80s. Oh. So it's straight up a political call out on ah, those churchies getting involved and in trying to cut the music. Yeah. This song does not do it for me because, again, this is the kind of pop punk fuck bush we're going to be getting over the next eight years. And it's very puerile. 
I was already past my teenage years by this point, and it's just like, well, yeah, we get it. Pee pee poo poo. He is a bad president. You you had needed to write an album about that. Would you rather have pro Bush pop punk? I feel if you're going to try and claim political anything in your songwriting, you should go maybe a step beyond. Again, pee pee poo poo. He is a bad president. That's it. That's as far as this ever goes. Look, we're not making, yeah, like, we're not hiding the fact that this podcast is basically like at least two, like, very hard left pieces of shit, and Adam, who is probably a bit less hard left than us, but yeah, this is very, this is very blue check liberal in terms of today's standards of politics, and I cannot vibe with this shit. Yeah, it's it's the same thing that means I'm going to get savage on the next one, but nobody turned this into a musical. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My notes are mainly all of the genius annotations on this, which I'm not going to go and read, but they are lots of tautology. The media tries to mold you to be a specific way. If you don't speak up about it and fight against it, you will be like everyone else. If you don't listen to the lyrics because I didn't because I was trying to write a research paper uh it's not bad if you do listen to the lyrics well don't do that <laughs> I am curious because Billy Joe did say in a later interview that he thinks this track sounds a lot better live than it came out on the album I might compare that sometime there's some interesting instrumentals in this one, but as a whole, it I just hear this, and especially with hindsight, it's like, this is what led us to American Idiot. Also, Fled, I'm surprised that you haven't said yet that any of these tracks sounds like Flogging Molly, because all of these tracks sort of sound like Flogging Molly, and you say that on every episode about some tracks. I actually had that in the note for another track, and I stop myself because I didn't want to become a complete farce. <laughs> Since I've already been leaning on the I am a grandpa this recording session. But you are a grandpa. That's fine. Being a grandpa is fine. Please keep in mind that the more you call Fletch old, the closer to being old you will become yourself. Oh, I'm ancient in my mind, but uh, by calling Fletch old, I feel younger, so that makes me feel better about myself. Oh, so I need to start calling you old more often to even things out, I see. Oh no! I have to bully Ellie somehow. I am unbullyable. <laughs> I am too much self-deprecating to be bullied effectively. Mm-hmm, sure. It's true, those are the hardest people to make fun of. You suck, Ellie. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh. Uh, and then we go to the last song, Macy's Day Parade.
we'll talk about this one because they sort of zoned out through it. This song barely exists. It's Green Day Shoegaze. <laughs> I wish. I wish there was a shoegaze track on this record. That is straight up what this is. There's no energy. There's no hook. The video is slow and goes nowhere. The whole thing is supposed to be, oh yeah, consumerism is bad. But again, it's shot like a cologne commercial, all in black and white. You feel like it should just say, Green Day 1, at the end. <laughs> it is worth noting that on the cover of the record, Billy Joel Armstrong is looking at his shoes. So this is technically shoegaze. Yeah, this wasn't uh, my favorite song on the album either. It's okay. There's acoustic guitar, a barely there drumming, and pretty much no energy to this track. It's just the most casual anti-consumer lyrics possible. Honestly? Yeah. Oh, I have a note on this. I have a single note, which is, this is just every breath you take. Every breath you take has more energy. <laughs> yeah. So can't you see? Does he even raise his voice that much in this? I don't think Billy Joel has the ability to change the tone of his voice during a song. I think it just chooses a tone at the beginning of a song and it sticks with it. Yeah, I would call this somber, but uh, goth music also usually has more energy than this. Even if you have, like, Bauhaus tracks have more vocal range than this. You know, like or hate Billy Joel Armstrong, I don't like him. Uh, I think we can all agree that he shouldn't be singing, like, songs like this. <laughs> like, this is not where his strength lies. <laughs> Probably not. This is not, and again... It's why their concept album coming next is the thing that I am going to savage. Maybe, maybe I'll turn around on it, but then I remember, oh right, it's a whole series of tracks about a character named the Jesus of Suburbia, and then it's like, uh, no. I mean, I've, I've listened to Dumber concept albums, but at least they didn't try to be, like, political... Same, I'm a prog fan. I mean, Rush's 2112 is not the most stunning, and it has a lot of the same messages of anti-conformity, and like, 2112 is what majority wants to be, but without the chops. Can I see a thing getting back a bit to my misery? Not misery, what's the name? Uh, minority? Sure. Like the... I hate the generic message of anti-conformity, not because it's a bad message in itself, it's just, like, very trite and meaningless, I feel. Just like, oh, do not be like the others, but the problem is, like, the problem is evil shit, it's not conformity. Like, the problem in the world is not that people try to be the same, because they don't. People try to be unique by their definition. The problem in the world, there are people doing bad things, like genocides and, like, fucking taking rights away from people. The problem is not that everyone, like, the problem is not that you, the punk kid, are bullied in high school. That's not the problem of the world. <laughs> that is not a problem that's scalable to the actual politics of the world. Sorry. You weren't listening to Billy Joe. The actual genocide is fashion. <laughs> All right. I mean, we could uh, talk about fast fashion and how it affects both the environment and the people making our clothes in Bangladesh and the sweatshops. 
we could, but Green Day doesn't. Yeah, that's that's kind of why Macy's Day Parade and some of these tracks irritate me so much. It's like, I don't think you're making the wrong point. I think you're making it without teeth or anything behind it to chew on. I mean, it's kind of hard to make a... You're not wrong, but also, how do you make a song about fast fashion and sweatshops while maintaining a pop punk vibe i don't know like we've talked about the suicide machines the suicide machines have a song about striking that's a good political song that i can get behind people are evil they want to take your label you should labor sorry you should strike against them not be different yeah i don't care if you're different or not just don't let fucking capitalist camp take your labor this is a thing that's talking about you know Costco's terrible because of its economy-sized dreams of hope is a consolation prize, and not, well, we could say a little more on that. Why do we need consolation prizes? What do we need consoling from? Yeah. Yeah, we don't have anything beyond just buy, buy, buy is bad, and it doesn't really go into why or what woke you up to that. It's just like, yeah, it's fair. Armstrong even said in an interview, the song was about the lies and deceptions that you grow up in and how you have to find your own way. But he doesn't say how he got to that. He doesn't say what he thinks should be done instead or what needs to change. It's just like, you know, it's terrible that these rich people keep making money off of uh, selling you things you don't need. Okay. Yeah. I, I think political Green Day fails for me because it is the pop punk politics in which no they're going too hard on the pop not enough on the punk if you are trying to become a platinum album then you're probably not going hard enough with teeth i mean if you're listening to Green Day to get your politics, you probably have more problems than just... <laughs> well, hell, that's uh, one of the jokes on warning. Uh, get your philosophy from a bumper sticker. I mean, they're even calling out that sort of shallow thing, and then they end the album on Macy's Day Parade. Yeah. Yeah. Love <sighs> I think that there is material on here that is good. I think there is material on here that you can follow Green Day's career unlike so many other bands. There are no hard shifts. Nobody's taking a 90 degree turn in the history of Green Day. This album begets the next album begets the next album. And you can always see what led to the next one. You can see where American Idiot would come out of this. And I have never been the biggest fan of Green Day. I think Green Day are talented people who definitely improve with each work, but they also 
very much go in a direction I can't stand. I get why someone would like this. I get the value in this. I get why some people say that this is their favorite uh, Green Day record because it's very different and interesting. I I don't like it. Though. <laughs> it's not my thing. And it's not just because of the politics. It's just like the sound doesn't work for me. I think all of those tunes are so damn just like simple and jolly and those rock and roll influences sort of great on me. That's not my vibe. <laughs> Uh, again, I I mentioned before that I was during the I don't know if I mentioned it on air, but during this record I was that that one meme where the guy is at a party being like I wish I was home listening to Swans. Uh, that that was me. I've I've joked about that before. I have been that. I stopped in the middle of this research to listen to some Jimmy Eat World, and then I put on the record again. I'm really negative on this, so I'm gonna recommend the record like I do usually. Gotta just go very quickly, but if you want actual good politics in your pop punk, go listen to the record that the Suicide Machine dropped this year, Revolution Spring. It starts with a Fuck You Cops song. It's great. It's pretty good. I think it may actually end up... I've been listening to a lot of that record. I think it may actually end up on the lower end of my best records of the year chart. And similarly, I will say that if you might have been the kind of person who was afraid to listen to some of the harder rap back in the day, maybe give Ice-T's Body Count a shot and listen to Cop Killer. See what that sounded like. See what was hardcore in the 90s and then go, how much of this do I agree with in 2020? It's, it's just a thought. How much are the things which we once considered to be so shocking and out there, how much of that is a thing that you find yourself going, hmm, if you've never reconsidered? What it is worth, Ellie, you and Adam and I are not alone in that Warning was divisive. This is the worst-selling album of the reprise era to date, and something which a few people blame on the album hitting this new service called Napster three weeks before release. But the touring was incredibly unconventional for this. They had been signed to a slot on the Warp Tour prior to release, and then they're starting to play the tracks off this, and people are going, wait, what? What the hell is this? What is Green Day doing? They added an extra guitarist to their lineup that summer, so everything sounded harder on stage, which made it even weirder. But again, that means I kind of want to hear what their version of Minority Live sounded like. When the Warp Tour ended, there was a quiet period, and then... During the break between albums, they joined Blink-182 for what was called the Pop Disaster Tour, where every few shows they traded off who was the headliner and who was the opening act, because Blink was bigger at the time, but Green Day had the longer career and elder statesman status, so they just sort of played around with that. There's 
also a lot more that happens, but we're going to get there when we reach American Idiot, and I'm going to tell you the lost story of Cigarettes and Valentines, the album that doesn't exist. Well, they do share one thing with the Battle Surfer. Which is, you know, entirely missing albums? Yeah. Yeah. Except I actually have a copy of Weird Revolution and The Last Astronaut, and I don't have a copy of Cigarettes and Valentines. Hmm. Don't you wish you were living in the world where, you know, American Idiot didn't exist and this other record existed? I would be really curious to see what happens to Green Day in that world. <laughs> like, I... American Idiot broke them out with a whole new generation. It was their biggest smash success. We've referenced obliquely. They made a musical out of that concept album. I do not think Cigarettes and Valentines, had it existed, would have had that same spark. Yeah, I'll be honest, one of the main reasons why I was thinking not doing older bands on this podcast is because I didn't want to talk about Green Day. <laughs> there are going to be bands that I don't like to discuss, but I also think I can take one hit of Green Day every so often if it at least gives me something interesting. We were not at any point during this album going, yeah, this is another song. You gotta at least give it that. Yeah. Oh, I was going, yeah, this is another song on a couple of these. I mean, All right. That that's because you have, like, a strong negative feelings towards this band, no matter what they do, Ellie. <laughs> I mean, if they... Look, every band can surprise me. Every band can go like, I don't like them, oh, I actually like them. Phoenix TX is coming up again with a second album. Maybe they'll surprise us. I think not. Same song, different chorus. So, this was the episode. You can find us at getoutofthistown.com. You can mail us at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com. You can Twitter us at ggottpodcast on the Twitter. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and everywhere else you would like to find podcasts. And if you if you are so kind, you should rate and review us. Give us five stars on the iTunes. Those stars help us being podcasts and doing podcast things. We do like doing podcast things for you. Well, we do a good podcast thing. Next week, we'll be doing The Offspring's Conspiracy of One. Just taking a look at the future Offspring's record, this will probably not be the worst Offspring record that we review on this podcast. And yeah, and we'll do that next week. And do you have anything to plug, Fletch? You can find everything I work on at hellscaper.com. Do you have anything to plug, Adam? Nope, I don't exist. And you can find me, as always, at ACC the Moon on Twitter. And if you want to support us... We do not have a Patreon, but we do have a musical in the works which will replace our stolen Patreon, so feel free to give that a go. There will not be a dry eye in the house when you hear who is playing Elaine. <laughs> Good night, people. See ya. Good night. Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my friendly like a pop pocket and get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.